Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, January 13th, 2024, just two days out from Martin Luther King Day. Do you have any plans for the the three day weekend, Brian? Up to anything special? Um, maybe a set of twelve hours of sleep, thirteen hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that that that's the joy of being an older white male, yeah. isn't it? It's like oh, sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah and good. naps, naps, Nap, are the naps are the greatest thing. Naps are a good thing. So. <laughs> Uh, has, has your new year gotten off to a good start or? Yes. Yeah. We, we've done pretty good. Liana being Armenian has this, uh, thing that if you lose something of value, then all the bad luck and evil will go with it. Mm -hmm. When we first got married, she lost her wedding ring. Mm -hmm. Now we found the engagement ring, but we lost the wedding ring. She told me this, so it was easier to accept. Mm -hmm. I've been married now for going on 26 years, so I think it's it's pretty, um, it works. So this Christmas, it seems that Liana lost a ring mm -hmm. that was worth quite a lot of money, mm -hmm. and she thinks that she threw it away into the recycling and she called the recycling. They go, well, we don't even look through it. We just crush it right away, and then we send it off. So I said, there it is. That's going to be our 2024. We're going to have a good one because all the bad luck and evil has gone with this very expensive ring. That made me feel very good about this year. I, I haven't lost anything of value, well, <laughs> other than my mind, but yeah, yeah the, the, I know. <laughs> you know, kind of just, yeah, yeah, again, I, I, <laughs> I'm entering that phase of my life where, you know, you walk into a room with purpose and then like, I'm coming in here because, oh yes, yeah. you know, that the, the thing I, I meant to do, you know, but just the notion of, you know, you can walk to my feet and your brain gets distracted. So Well, 2023 was not a, a great year. And um, especially with the losing of Mr. Adams, which I'm still messed up about. Well, but uh, now it's interesting you say that. And we're going to talk about this later on in the show. But I wanted to uh, update folks about the GoFundMe. Uh, and, I, I, and also just thank folks. Because when... Uh, Len Testa and, and uh, Tim O'Brien set that up. The goal was, or the hope was, that we'd be able to, you know, get $5,000 together to help, um, you know, Aaron's widow, Sabrina Geiger, you know, deal with just the unexpected bills and right. that sort of thing that come with the loss of your partner and that sort of thing. And I'm pleased to report that as of today, there's $15,000 sitting in that account. You, the, the, the folks who listen to this podcast and the other podcasts at Jim Hill Media and likewise Disney Impact and Disney Dish have been so generous. You know, well, I mean, they really came through, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, just again, I'm just so pleased with how Powell's reacted to that. Every week when you listen to these podcasts, it's like you and I, I, I read your stuff and you became part of my life and then I met you. And, and, and it's the same thing with these things. You are letting these people into your life every week and you get close to them. And when you lose them, something's missing. Yeah, I have to admit that, that, that in fact, at the Ginger Snap Challenge, in November, there were so many people who, and, and that's the thing, we were actually sitting while Len and I were down there. We lost Aaron. I mean, we'd found out right. the week previous about his accident or his heart attack. Uh, and, you know, and, and we we weren't in a position yet to share the info because, oh, to be honest, Sabrina uh, wasn't in, information, or in a position to share the info. But, but so many people at that event came up and talked how, uh, get to see myself and land about how we were their friend from the car, you know, that we right. were part of their Monday morning and how they so looked to, forward to hanging out in person with us. Cause they'd hung out 
with us virtually for so long. And anyway, enough of the self-aggrandizing. We should really get to starting the actual show here because it's been a lot of Lucasfilm news. Uh, yes, since, a lot. So, uh, but before we get to the news, I want to remind you of the news portion of looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by touringplans.com. Uh, touring plans can help you save time and money at theme parks like Walt Disney World. And so please check them out at touringplans.com. All right. So anyway, on last our last show, we talked about how Dave Filoni had just been made the chief creative officer, sir, at Lucasfilm. And, and with something like that happening, if you're like myself and Brian and have paid attention to entertainment news for a couple of decades, you know shoes are going to drop. Raining from the sky. Okay, so the first <laughs> shoe of size came earlier this week with the news that Lucasfilm is readying a new Star Wars project for theatrical release. Um, this one, tentatively entitled The Mandalorian and Grogu, will bring the central characters of the much-loved Disney Plus limited series to the big screen. Now, the info we have so far about this project is Mandalorian Grogu will be directed by Jon Favreau and produced by Favreau, Kathleen Kennedy, and Dave Filoni. And now, what's especially interesting about the press release that announced this project is it's stated that the Mandalorian and Grogu will go into production in 2024, this year. And then, tagged at the bottom of this same announcement was the news that Season 2 <laughs> of Star Wars Ahsoka had been greenlit. Didn't it say, oh yeah, mm -hmm. and Season 2 of Ahsoka will start? <laughs> well, was it like one of those things? Oh, uh, before we go. Mm -hmm. But now, okay, this is... In amazing news, mm -hmm. you know, people got crazy and they forgot all the negative things. But is this replacing season four? Because season four was announced <sighs> and season four was being written. And season four is in the Internet Movie Database as, you know, coming up in um, 2025, I think. Just to put this in context, remember, there were eight episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. And the last one of those aired April 19th of last year 2023 right uh likewise we had eight episodes of season one of star wars ahsoka and that wrapped up october 3rd of last year 2023 and then six weeks after that we got the news that filoni had been made chief creative officer of lucasfilm on november 21st so i again i don't need to explain to somebody who has worked in the, the entertainment right. industry you know, these dots are connected. Yes. And yes, it is interesting that with the, the announcement of the Mando and Grogu movie being produced for theatrical release starting in 2024, uh, that there was absolutely no mention of season four. But yet we, we did get an announcement of a, a, a season two of a, 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 a Ahsoka. So just wanted to lay this out here. Um, if you think about how season three ended with the Mandalorian, with, you know, his, his new home on the piece of land he'd, he'd been deeded and on the prairie, on the prairie and <laughs> with we, his we, feet up. <laughs> yep. You know, and we were watching Grogu, you know, make all of the little frogs in the pond float up into the sky. So those characters are left in a position right now where it's relatively easy for them to start a new story, uh, uh, you know, a, a theatrical release. Yes. Now, remember, the project that had previously been talked about uh, as Dave Filoni's theatrical film? Yeah, which we kind of guess was going to be a a wrap-up of the Filoni-Fevro um, uh, universe. You know, yeah, like bring that, Ahsoka... Bring in um, the Mandalorian. Bring in all the characters yeah, that Boba we Fett, saw, you know, and uh, then yeah, Boba, and then just wrap it all up in that movie, and then all of a sudden, this movie comes up too. Yeah, and remember, you know, the, the in-house that was sort of referenced to as the Star Wars Avengers movie. You know, that the notion right. of bringing all these these film or these characters from the the Disney Plus limited series to the big screen, and that's what would have made this Star Wars movie special. Um, I, I'm 
struggling not to connect the fact that in this press release that, you know, we get the announcement of the Mandalorian Grogu movie uh, starting production in 2024, which, face it, uh, Brian, that means, what, 2025 at the earliest being released to theaters, right? Yeah. In fact, what's kind of interesting is if you drill down into the current version of the Disney future uh, release schedule, the earliest a new Star Wars films were going to arrive in theaters. Uh, in fact, what's fascinating, in, in 2026, there's actually two slots listed. There's a May 22nd, 2026, and there's a December 18th, 2026. Um, not to say that things can't move around. The May would have been the Ray film, and then the December could have been the Filoni film. Well, interesting that you bring up the Ray film, because just over the past week or so, some news is broken about that. Now, remember, this is the project uh, that's, you know, again, built around the central character of the Disney-produced Star Wars trilogies, and would have supposedly had Ray looking to relaunch the, the Jedi Order by, by using the ancient text to teach some new students. Uh, the ways of the force and this project has reportedly you know hit a snag and uh, supposedly the snag is the script and and to be specific everyone's supposedly signed off on the the story or the general shape of the story but we're talking about the actual screenplay evidently damon lindelof and justin Britt gibson were the first folks through the door uh to work on the script they couldn't crack the, the, the screenplay, so it, it got handed off to a Stephen Knight. Now, uh, Stephen Knight evidently is w- committed to a Peaky Blinders movie. And <laughs> a, as a result, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like, you know, he took on the commitment and then had to turn to Lucasfilm and go, I am so sorry, but... Uh, I do not have the time right now to finish the screenplay for this Ray movie. And so um, we're now in this very strange area where that project, uh, which again, remember, was talked up with much enthusiasm, now doesn't seem to be moving forward. So I have to wonder, is The Mandalorian and Grogu, did that get announced as starting production this year? Because of the the script issues with the Ray movie? Well, also, you know, remember the little controversy there was a couple weeks ago about the the old um, interview with the director? Do you think that they they wanted to bring something up for that to kind of, like, get that taste? I mean, it was BS news. It was all fabricated. It, It had nothing to do with reality, yet... You know, people thought that it, it did. It did get a, people upset, of course, as it would. But then it was taken completely out of context because the the review was done ten years ago, and it was about her documentary that she was doing. So it had nothing to do with the way she makes movies. And I think she made Ms. Marvel. I think she did an amazing job on the the episode she directed, especially the one about the partition of. India and Pakistan, which I didn't even know about until I saw that show. Obviously, this this is a strange time in Hollywood, and and, and yes. think think about it. If if we we take a step back even four years ago, with James Gunn having you know being fired off of Guardians yeah. in the Galaxy Volume Three, uh, you know after finishing this the screenplay. And, uh, you know, and, you know, if you remember the whole arc of that, that, uh, you know, he goes off and makes the Suicide Squad movie and, you know, uh, cooler heads prevail at Disney. They bring him back to work on, you know, on Guardians, on the script that he had written. He directs the movie. But again, Warner so enjoyed working with him. They bring him in to be the new head of, of DC Studios. Um, so again, you know, it's important to realize that, yeah, yeah, that's the story right now, but 
let's let's see where we are. You know, movies take two and three years to get it at the very least to get up out of the ground. Uh, let's see where we are from it. But but remember, again, we, we were just talking about the earliest release dates that Disney currently has on its schedules for Star Wars. May of 2026 and, uh, you know, and then December of that same year and, and things could change. In fact, speaking of things, things have been changing for the past couple of years. Remember two years ago, we got this whole group of films that were going to be made and then, oh no, those aren't going to be made. These are going to be made. And then, oh no, no. Did we say these were going to be made? We meant these were going to be made. So yeah, things have been crazy over there oh and another thing about the the press release it didn't did you get an idea it came from anybody <laughs> well because usually they say the offices of or dave filoni says or this that and the other thing and it was just it started out as a narrative there was like nothing to build up about you know what's going on and who says it and you know it just just seemed to be one of those things that Quick, get this out now. Don't attribute it to anybody because we don't want to get anybody in trouble. Well, the other thing to to take into consideration is remember, you know, you talked at the top of the show about uh, how bad a year uh, 2023 was. And for the industry, you know, the one-two punch of, you know, first the writer's strike and then the actor's strike and how, you know, people... Uh, you know, just now getting back to work, you know, the, the things getting in front of cameras. And um, I, I think, to be honest, that's kind of one of the other aspects of, of this story. The whole notion of, you know, the folks at Lucasfilm literally raising their hand, you know, the effect of there will be a Star Wars theatrical release in front of cameras in 2024, which means it's coming to a theater near you in 2025 or 2026. Now, mind you, uh, to sort of counterbalance this, I mean, face it, we've, um, there was a press release that Disney put out December 19th of this year that flat out mentioned that stuff that's already been produced for Star Wars, uh, The Acolyte, Skeleton Crew, and Season 3 of The Bad Badge, uh, are coming in 2024. Now, the question is when? Like, geez, we don't know. These are undated <laughs> as of right now. Now, now, now that said, uh, Bad Batch producer Jennifer Corbett uh, was on Twitter just earlier this week and, you know, posted something to the effect of, oh, I saw that Bad Batch is trending. I, I guess you guys really want to see that trailer. So, uh so let's hope that, you know, that's out there sooner rather than later. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, this is a kind of an interesting time. You just get the sense, uh, at least when it comes to Lucasfilm, that there's kind of a course correction going on. In fact, that's, you know, we talked a bit about this on, on the last show, the notion of Dave Filoni now in a tree chief creative officer position. And a lot of that is on the back of, you know, at least as far as the folks in the corner corner office at, at, at Disney are concerned, Dave seems to has his finger on the pulse of what star Wars fans really want to see. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, he does. He's a, he's a fan mm -hmm. just like us. And it seems like a lot of the things that they do sometime mm -hmm. is they don't want to do fan service and they do, we go, we got to make this stand on his own. We don't want to do fan service. Or if they do fan service, it's so blatant that it just, like you say, you know, some people can take you out of a movie that takes you out of a movie sometimes. It's just like, oh, there's a, the, this one is, they, didn't they do that in the first movie? And then didn't they do that in the second movie? And yeah, I, I think that they, they should realize exactly what Filoni and Favreau did is they created something from whole cloth, something brand new, but with a theme. I remember working and sitting in, um, there was a David Beagleman had a a uh, company called Gladden Films, and I was very fortunate to sit in some of the meetings. And the producers did 
most of the producers or the associate producers that were brought in because they were friends of friends of friends did not have an idea of what films were. They just saw numbers. So they go, well, I don't think the audience would like this. So the, the audience wouldn't like this. Or, uh, you know, I don't see the audience going for this. They had no evidence for that. So that's why people, that's why, what, what, what was it? Um, Disney passed on E.T. Because they don't, they go, well, I don't know, you know, a good alien? I don't know if this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, what happens? So people just have to accept. And then you have people like, who's the producer that was at 20th Century Fox for Star Wars? Oh. Junior. He's a junior. Yeah. that. Anyway, he saw something in Star Wars that nobody else saw up to when it was released when 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 Lucas showed that group of consisting of Scorsese and 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 Brian De Palma and and uh, Steven Spielberg only Steven Spielberg got it you know what was it was it Brian De Palma goes what's it with that gorilla thing no no Coppola said that but nobody else got it but Alan Ladd Jr. There we go. There did we go. get it. Yeah, and and uh, just to, to sort of circle back to, to two things you mentioned here. Yes, uh, on the heels of the underperformance at the box office of 1941, uh, yeah, Spielberg, with kind of his tail between his legs, did go to Disney, and, and I'd really like to have a new home, and I have this project that I want to do, but the story that I've always heard about Disney was actually supposedly intrigued by E.T., but it was the notion that Spielberg, you know, talked profit participation like, uh, you, know, oh, you know, well, you know, I, I have my friend John Williams who does the scores for my films and he gets points on the movie and I have my favorite editor and my favorite art director. And, and this was this was Disney and, you know, the the late seventies, early eighties. And it's like, what you want us to share, you know? <laughs> and it's like, no, that, 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 oh, that's not how we do business. Now, conversely, one of the uh, things that's always fascinating about, uh, Lucas at, um, bringing star Wars to 20th century Fox. And, uh, you know, that, the notion of 20th century Fox thought it was ridiculous that one of the terms of the deal uh, that Lucas had with Fox was, well, he wants to hold on to the toy rights. And it's like, he wants to hold on to the toy rights. Oh, what an idiot. Sure. Absolutely. Take the toy rights. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take this, this stuff you make from selling tickets, the money you, you can have the toys, you know, and it just, and that definitely came back to bite them. But, um, if if we could pivot now to to again Disney and it's it's Star Wars and and you were mentioning about you know uh, what stories you choose to tell and how you, you you tell them Adam Driver's been out there for the past month or so doing uh publicity for Ferrari and uh in fact he was on I want to say it was the Rich Eisen show and he got asked about Kylo Ren. And he told this fascinating story about when he was approached by J.J. Abrams to, you know, and again, J.J. was recruiting Adam for a brand new Star Wars trilogy. So the notion was, let me explain to you what we're going to do with this character, you know, with this character, Kylo Ren. Because the, the, the thinking then, and this is what's fascinating, is that he was going to be the opposite of Darth Vader. And and to explain, remember, Darth Vader starts off, you know, in A New Hope as the scariest of the scary. I mean, he's a, he, he's a villain. He, he kills Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, he's the baddie, the, the baddest of the baddies. But over the course of that trilogy that uh, Luke gets through to his dad and, and redeems him. Now, what J.J. was proposing for the three Disney-produced Star Wars films was the notion that Kylo Ren 
started off that this is Ben Solo. And he's still somewhat unsure about the path he's on. And, you know, that's somewhat hesitant. And But what the notion is, by film three, he's the baddest of the bad. You know, Ray and Finn and Poe, it's going to take everything they've got to take this guy down. So here's the quote from, from, uh, from Adam. J.J. Adams walked me through what he wanted to do with the character and that, that Kylo's journey was going to be the opposite of Vader, uh, with Vader starting off as the most confident and committed to the dark side. And by the last movie of the original trilogy, he's the, the most weak and vulnerable, whereas J.J. wanted the new trilogy to start in the opposite direction, that Kylo Ren at the beginning of Force Awakens was supposed to be this conf confused and vulnerable. And by the end of the third movie, he's the most committed to the dark side. And and he and that's the thing. Why Adam Driver isn't exactly a fan of the Disney produced Star Wars trilogy? He's like, look, I started, you know, I tried to keep that arc in mind as I was performing in this trilogy. But in the end, my character wasn't able to make that journey because Kylo's overall arc changed while we were shooting. Uh, and this wasn't the version I signed up for when I agreed to play this character. So, um, you know. Well, I think it, they, again, mm -hmm. they want to please the audience. In the third um, episode of Star Wars, there was redemption. So they figured, well, we'll do the same thing. Not only that, but remember General Hux? How he becomes, you know, he was like, he was just as evil as Ren. He was horribly, blows up a whole planet. And then at the very end, oh, I don't like the way they're treating me, so I'm going to be on your side. Really? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. It's that and, and the horses riding down the side of a... Yeah, a star destroyer. Yeah, I, you know, I, again, I, I did, you know, that pulled me out of the movie. I get, and now speaking, we were talking earlier about pulling uh, people out of a movie, and just today, just today, I learned uh, what was planned for uh, that moment in Return of the Jedi when Luke takes Darth Vader's mask off and sees his dad's face for the first time. Now. Want to sort of set the stage here and remember, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi was played by an Academy Award winning British A-lister, Sir Alec Guinness. And so the thinking was, you know, that as they're originally, you know, casting up on Return of the Jedi, it's like, now, wait a minute, we're coming to this moment where, you know, and, and, and think about it. Think about when you saw Empire for the first time. And there was that scene where you saw Vader from behind with the the, the mask right. being lowered, and you saw the the the, the, the weird scars on it, burns yeah. on his skull, and it's like, oh, what's the front of that guy look like? And so the notion was, are right, we going to do this reveal? We should have a really big star under that mask. And so evidently, there were actually discussions between Lucasfilm and, and 20th Century Fox about should we reach out to a say. Sir Lawrence Olivier or a Sir, oh, John, wow. Sir, Sir John Gilgood and have them be, you know, because again, it, it, you, know, you want somebody who's of equal weight to Sir Alec Guinness. And wow, that would have been a big twist. It would have. But, but the interesting thing is that evidently Lucas thought about it for a while and then it's like, eh, I think that's going to pull people out of the movie. You know, I mean, the, 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 in fact, if, if the mask Ugh. comes off and it's Sir Lawrence Olivier, suddenly people in the theater are, are first going to talk amongst themselves, you know, to the like, oh, that's Sir Lawrence Olivier. And the, the focus at that moment really should be this scene between father and son. And, and you know, the, the beat to the effect of, you know, I love that line, you know, I'll get you out of here. It's like, you know, I have to rescue you. It's like, you already rescued me. You already saved me. You know, and um, so when you and I were pre-gaming today, you actually pushed back pretty strongly about the notion of uh, would that have pulled you out of the movie? Yeah, see, I think that's an excuse that a lot of filmmakers use um, when they try to surprise people pulling out of the movie. There have been so many Easter eggs. There have been so many surprises in films that we have seen there's been so many fan, um, you know, stuff. 
that we're not pulled out of the film. We're we're like excited that we discovered it. You know, that we discovered a Easter egg, that we discovered, oh, this is Laurence Olivier, or or like I just saw the movie The Northman, and um two people in it, uh Willem Dafoe and um and oh I can't forget her I forget her name, but William Defoe, he's unrecognizable. And I didn't recognize him until I saw him the the second and I'm going, Oh my god, this performance is amazing. I didn't know it was Defoe. So it's just things like that that, you know, like when you saw um Tom Cruise in in Thunder. Oh, uh Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, and it's just things Tropic like Thunder. that. Yeah. Tropic Thunder, just things like that. I think people enjoyed those things. So if it was um, an actor like that, I think people would go, wow, that was terrific. That was smart on their account. I can see what he means that he wanted people to, you know, be touched by it and, 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 and focus on that. But I don't think it pulls people out of the, the movie at all. I, I, I've never seen a review or maybe I have that people go, well, this was, would have been better if they just would have left it on its own and not try to make it cute and clever or something like that. So I'd never seen that. So Okay. Okay. Well, again, long story short, they, they opted to go with Sebastian Shaw instead. Though, if we're talking about Luke's parents, I, I don't know how many of you saw the, the lovely photo <laughs> that yeah. came out of this year's Golden <laughs> Globes, but uh, Mark Hamill was there at this year's event to present the inaugural uh, Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award. Uh, but there at that uh, event, he finally met up with Natalie Portman, who, of course, played Padme Amidala uh, in the Star Wars prequels, who was Luke and uh, Leia's mom. And, uh, you know, so he, he tweeted out, it's like, now I have finally met my mother, <laughs> thanks to the Golden Globes. And and what's, what's kind of cool about this is that Mark has previously sort of, uh, you know, played with this concept, you know, that because the effect of like, look, when I saw that Natalie Portman was my mother, I thought, holy moly, a woman that beautiful has a kid that looks like me. It's like, I'm not buying it. I would be way more handsome. So, which again is one one of the reasons why I, 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 I love Mark Campbell. He's a guy who's dedicated to his craft, but doesn't take himself too seriously. No, and he's he's a complete geek too. He's a comic book guy. He's a, a movie guy. And and when he met her, he was really excited, like like a kid, like a kid meeting you know his hero for the first time. It it, it was really a, a special just a look on his face. And then and then she was like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> there, there we go. And all right, I'm, I'm, I'm the mom of a 60-year-old. Okay, yeah. I get it. <laughs> well, anyway, now speaking of somebody who's dedicated to their craft, on the second half of today's show, we're going to talk about Imagineer Richard Berryman and the role that he played in the creation of the original Star Tours. But first, this... And we're back. Uh, okay, earlier on today's show, uh, we did talk about season of the Force, right? The the special event that's coming to uh, yeah, we talked about it last week. That's coming to uh, uh, Disneyland, right? Coming, I want to say April fifth through June second, with May the fourth, right in the middle there. Right. Uh, but there's going to be, uh, and, and in fact, this is when the the brand new. Uh, ride film for Star Tours is going to debut. Uh, the one that features uh, Mandalorian, Grogu, Ahsoka, and uh, Boba Fett. So we can look forward to that. But um, this this month, in fact, um, January 9th, 1987, uh, the original version of the simulator attraction opened up 37 years ago this month. And wow. someone who, who played a big, big role in the making of this attraction was Richard Berryman. Now, Richard uh, worked for Walt Disney Imagineering from 1969 all the way through to 2008. In fact, uh, uh, 
Brian, the he uh, to hear uh, Richard talk, uh, the very first animatronic figure he ever worked on was for uh, Peter Pan flight at Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. They, they, if you you recall, hmm. there's a scene in that dark ride where Peter is standing on the deck of the Jolly Roger behind the ship's wheel. That's the very first thing that Richard ever worked on. Well, was that really an animatronic figure? Because it's just, I, I don't remember it wasn't talking or anything. It's just like moving back and forth. Well, you know, and that's, it's so interesting you bring that up because Richard did an interview for Walt's people. And I don't know if you're, you're, you're familiar with this series of books. Uh, it's a collection of interviews edited by Didier Guez. By the way, the subtitle of the series is Talking Disney with the Artists Who Knew Him. Okay. And uh, there's been 28 volumes wow. of this series so far. In fact, the, the most recent one came out in September of last year, and it features a 67-page-long interview with Berryman where he talks about all of, uh, excuse me, many of the figures he worked on over his near 40-year career at the company. And, and they go all the way from state-of-the-art animatronics uh, for... Uh, Epcot's uh, American Adventure and, and right. uh, uh, Muppet Vision 3D at, at the studios to, uh, yes, uh, for lack of a better term, minimatronic animated props, as you just said, okay. uh, the, P the Peter Pan figure at that, uh, you know, has limited movement, but it does have movement. Okay. And it has to work 365 days a year, uh, you know, 18 hours at a time over and over and over again doing exactly you know uh, what it needs to do to sell that show scene so anyway uh as part of this interview dda uh asked richard uh, what his favorite project to work on and he said well look uh, the most memorable i think was c3po uh anthony daniel's character from the star wars movie i built c3po for all four Star Tours attractions at the Disney theme parks. That, that would be the one at Walt Disney World, the one at Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and the original at Disneyland Anaheim. And he said, this, this assignment started when my boss, Larry Sheldon, he was the head of my department in Imagineering, a very small shop. Only six of us worked in my department. And Larry says, Rick, come over to my area. You know, and, and there on the floor is this wooden crate that has just come in from Northern California. It's got... Lucasfilm production stamped on the outside, and he says, you're in trouble now. <laughs> you know, I, I just got you your new job. Take this back over to your work area. Now, be careful opening it, though. It, it, it's one of a kind. And so, you know, uh, so he, he, he picks up the box, uh, and uh, Larry places the animation sheet on the, the top of the crate, and he glances down, and it says, C-3PO. And, oh. and, and, and again, yet he... Got to understand, like anybody who saw the original Star Wars movie, uh, he's a fan, and he's like, "It's a, it's a it's a, it turns hilarious. Is this real?" And it's like, "Yep, you're going to build C-3PO for Star Tours." And, and I was so excited. So, <laughs> so, so he opens up the crate, and there's all the parts for C-3PO's. You know, you know. So I, I I pull each of the costume pieces out and carefully inspect them to make sure nothing's broken or missing, and. And the parts all have sand in them. <laughs> and now, okay, if you're a fan of the original Star Wars trilogy, and, and you hear that Berryman, in 86, mind you, is opening a up a box that's been in storage at Lucasfilm for a while, and inside are the pieces of the C-3PO costume and filled with sand. What do you think? And it's like, oh my God, this is the suit that was used in production of the sandstorm scene that was shot and then cut out of Star Wars Episode Six: uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, and by the way, you can go to YouTube right now and watch this deleted scene. And by the way, it, it, it originally appeared in Episode Six right after Luke, Leia, and Lando had rescued Han off of Jabba's sail barge. And in the film, this scene would have come right after the battle above the Sarlacc pit. And the scene... Again, again, you can watch it today. Shows our heroes making their way back to the Millennium Falcon in the middle of a blinding sandstorm. Uh, and what's funny is Han and Leia actually have an exchange of dialogue that sort of underlines this story point. So Leia 
uh, first says, and the two of them are being blown about by this fear storm, which, by the way, is being created practically on a soundstage at L Street Studios in the UK. You know, in fact, what's so funny on YouTube, you can choose from watching the one that was you know, shot originally so you can barely hear the actors talking over the sound of the, 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 the fans that are operating just off camera, or there's also a cleaned up audio cut where it's just sort of like, you know, you hear the, the wind effect, but you can hear the dialogue clearly. But uh, anyway, so Leah first says, where is it? And, uh, you know, and she's asking Han about the location of the, the, the Falcon and, Solo says, I don't know. All I can see is blowing sand. And Leia laughs and says, well, that's all any of us can see. And, and so, you know, Han snorts, well, I, I guess I'm getting better then. And just a reminder, <laughs> at this point in the film, Solo is still recovering from the effects of being right. thawed out of carbonite, which supposedly temporarily damages eyesight. And anyway, right behind Leia and Han, you can see 3PO and R2-D2. They're struggling to keep up with them in the sandstorm, and the protocol droid calls out, hey, come back, wait for me. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so this is the C-3PO suit that Richard Berryman is uncrating. That's why it's full of sand. Uh, it had been used in production uh, for the sandstorm sequence in, in Return of the Jedi. Immediately after the scene, you know, the, 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 the people on set look at it, and it's all torn up from the sand. Oh, right. And so they're like, oh, well, let's send this back to Industrial Light and Magic. They'll retool it, and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get it later. And they, that never happens. You know, it just it gets sent back, and for some reason just gets left. Um, so, uh, and by the way, what, what's especially interesting about the sandstorm scene, it was the very first scene shot for Return of the Jedi. In fact, it was shot 42 years ago this week on January 11th, 1982. Now, didn't they shoot that in, um, California? Didn't they shoot that in Death Valley? Well, yes, they shot, um, in fact... What did they? What was the 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 secret name of the film? Not Blue Horizon, Blue Thunder, Blue. Yeah, I okay. think it was um, Blue Horizon. Okay. Um, well, what's interesting is they shot they they shot at L Street early. In fact, um, <laughs> well, what's kind of interesting is production of Empire had run so long and so far over budget that uh, they were determined on a return to really hit the ground running. So it's like, okay, let's shoot everything as much as we can, uh, you know, on sound stages. So when we go to California, we have all that stuff in the can. So that's what's so funny that, yes, the actual battle above the Sarlacc pit and that sort of thing, that was in fact shot out in uh, Death Valley or, or thereabouts. But this scene uh, immediately afterwards of, them making their way through a sandstorm back to the Millennium Falcon is, is shot on a soundstage, with, but again, with giant fans blowing in the background. But All right, anyway. Um, Blue Harvest. Blue Harvest, there we go. Because I don't want people yelling and screaming at their radio and then not get the satisfaction of what it re really was called. There we go. That, that, <laughs> we try, folks, we try. Okay, so, all right, we back to, to Berman talking with Gez in his interview for... Again, volume 28 of, of Walt's People. So, all right. So we get the AA figure that's going to be wearing this authentic used in the making of Return of the Jedi C-3PO suit built. And it's now time to put the suit that we pulled on, you know, uh, out of the crate on this AA figure. And remember, suit's all scratched up from being used in the shoot of the deleted Sandstorm scene. Uh, so we call Lucasfilm because we're looking to restore the suit. Uh, prior to placing it under the C-3PO uh, figure for the pre-show of Star Tours. And we asked them, what color gold paint should we use on C-3PO? And the people at Lucasfilm said, no, that, that's not gold paint. That's gold leaf. Oh. And they're like, oh. <laughs> you know, th which means if we want the C-3PO in this attraction to look as authentic as possible... We were going to have to go out and buy all these little boxes of gold leaf, <laughs> and then we're going to have to lay these thin pieces of gold leaf down in the C-3PO costume. All these pieces, by the way, are fiberglass, and then dab the gold foil into place with a thick, soft brush, and then to make sure that the, that the gold leaf would stay in place, we're going to have to cover the exterior 
of this this you know uh, C-3PO animatronic with a coat of clear urethane and and that's the thing we had all sorts of talented people at Imagineering uh, you know skilled in all sorts of obscure uh, you know uh, uh, talents but but at that time we didn't have anybody in the building who's familiar with working with gold leaf so which is why we wound up sending the C-3PO costume off to this company in San Bernardino that gold plates oh, thing. Cool. So, and, and it's an interesting process, gold plating. And, you know, the base uh, for at least for the C three PO figure was copper. Uh, you you got the the fiberglass pieces dipped in that first, and they they dipped uh, C three PO's lower right leg in silver. In silver. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, because that's how the droid looked in all the original Star Wars movies, and then finally. The rest of C-3PO's body got dipped in gold, and that's real 24-karat gold, which wow. which makes this AA figure in the pre-show of Star Tours a very expensive figure. Well, you also remember in the first Star Wars, New Hope, where you saw C-3PO being dipped in the oil bath. You did. You so did. it's almost the same thing. It's so interesting you say that, because the thinking was that if you remember... The end of the the movie, the award ceremony, and how right. how cleaned up and nice C three PO looked at the end of that. Um, evidently, the thinking in house at Imagineering was okay. So it's it's a couple of uh, months after Return of the Jedi, and C three PO and R two D two have now gotten jobs with this space tourism company, Star Tours. And, you know, so C-3PO is going to want to look his best for his new job. So he would have gotten off, gone off and gotten buffed up and that sort of thing. So, you know, that was the whole point of, look, you know, look, we're going to have to spend the money and, and dip him, you know, do the 24 karat gold. Now, do they did they do that for all four of them or just the first one? Um, it, As I understand it, you know, that, that they had to, once that had been established as the look, uh, that's what they had to do. So all, in fact, what's interesting is that they had to remember, they only had the original costume for return of the Jedi for the, right. the original, uh, star tours at Disneyland for the next, uh, three had to be custom built. And, and then, you know, those fiberglass, uh, pieces had to go out. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know if they all got sent to the same company in San Bernardino, but that's, you know, that's how it happened. Well, anyway, okay, now, at this point of the project, it's buy-off day. Uh, this is the day when key people associated with a new project for the park swing by 1401 Flower Street and then sign off of on the new AA figures that were going to go into this attraction before they, they're then sent to the field for installation. But here's the thing. Because it's the world's first Star Tours, well... George Lucas decides that he wants to be there for buy-off day. Uh -huh. And because this is the new 24-karat gold C-3PO AA figure that's being signed off on, George decides, well, I should bring Anthony Daniels down with me. You know, just you know, <laughs> the, the guy who wore it. He should be the one who signs off on if this looks right for the attraction. And now, since George Lucas... And Anthony Daniels are coming to Imagineering for buy-off day. Michael Eisner says, well, I, I need to be there, yeah, too. of course he has to be there. And, and But, you know, but, but just so you know, Ryan, on a typical <laughs> buy-off day, it's literally only the art director of that attraction who then needs to sign off on the show. But now, but, but not the head of Lucasfilm or not the CEO of the Walt <laughs> Disney Company. And so, all right, so uh, Berryman continues the story that he shared with Didi, I guess. So, so obviously, there's now a lot of extra pressure on buy-off day for Star Tours. Uh, and But prior to putting together the, the, the C-3PO AA figure, I, I'd done my homework. I had a secretary who, who worked at WED call up to Lucasfilm, and I, I had them find out how tall Anthony Daniels was. And they said he was six feet tall, so that's how tall I built the C-3PO figure, six feet tall. Uh, which is why I'm confident, you know, we're going to be fine for buy-off day that, that Lucas and Eisner and Daniels are going to come to wed. They're going to look at the C-3PO covered with gold, you know, a 24 karat <laughs> gold and say, me looks good. Install him in the thing. Don't worry about it. But that's not what happened to buy-off day. You know, I am, I'm literally on the other side of the campus. I'm working on the flight simulator for Star Tours. When I get the call from Stan Abramson, he's my manager. 
And he says, Lucas and Eisner and Daniels are all upset because I built the C-3PO animatronic. It's too big. It's too tall. You know, so so, so I walk over to the room at WED where they're doing the buy-off, and, and I immediately see what the problem is. That's They've got the C-3PO animatronic up on the show floor, which is this <laughs> elevated section of our, show sp- our, our, our workspace. Uh, which means that the C-3PO AA figure is is already 18 inches higher uh, than from down where Lucas and Eisner and Daniels are standing, and they're they're all you know standing there gesturing, but it, it's you know he's too tall. You're gonna have to rebuild him. <laughs> what are we gonna do? And so I say, go get me an 18 inch tall box, you know. And I turn to to, to Mr. Daniels and say, hang on. And then you know they 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 bring in the box and. I, I get a tiny little step ladder, and I said, Anthony, uh, may I call you Anthony? And he's like, of course. <laughs> and I said, uh, please step up on, on the box. And and then, you know, you're going to see that the animatronic C-3PO and you are the exact same height. And he did that. And, of course, this was the problem all along. You know, <laughs> Lucas and Eisner and Daniel, they're standing on the shop floor looking up at something on the show floor, which, again, 18 inches higher uh you know which is wait what they made the thing it was it was too big that it was towering over them and but after that everything was fine but you know but at the same time Berman is like you know <laughs> here are two two arguably two of the most powerful men in show business and they couldn't put it together like it's on an 18 inch tall box that's why it looks tall um, they I, uh, were but, very quick to blame somebody for well, something that wasn't there. You know, I just, I, I again, you know, I just think, you know, uh, there was a lot writing on this project. Uh, well, anyway, do, do you remember walking in the very first time, not knowing what to expect? At least for me, because maybe you knew what it was going to look like, and seeing C three PO and R two D two there. And your brain's going, is this real? Is this uh, is this really them? Is this really um, the real costume? Is it just a, my imagination? And it just it it it. I was in awe of the whole idea, and and the 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 ride itself. But just to see C three PO in person. Well, the part of Star Tours that I only just learned about that kind of blew my mind was that you know how when you walk in the building and you know you you, you sort of do the loop to loop you know you you walk right. down that ramp and there's the the you know the, the, the departure back. sign and then there's the actual star speeder in front of you right that ramp that especially the one in anaheim that's actually the ramp uh the original ramp from adventures through inner space. They, they just left oh. it. All right. So where, um, you know, where you walk down to where the star speeder is, is where the mighty microscope was located. I mean, this okay. tells you about how tight the budget was. And, you know, I mean, that the, the whole notion was we're spending all this money on those four, uh, you know, uh, simulators that we bought from ready fusion and the costume. Well, but but again, you know, the, the whole notion is that, that initially they thought they were saving money because they were sending the original yeah. screen used costume down only to then find, well, yeah, if it's going to look like in the movie, you're going to have to gold foil, boys. To and it's like, it. yeah, but so, uh, but uh, by the way, it's worth noting here that Richard has a teeny bit more history when it comes to C-3PO, at least as, as far as the Disney theme park attractions are, are concerned. And, all right. So you have to understand that Richard retires from WDI in July of 2008. But then uh, September of 2010, Richard is invited to panel as part of that marvelous mechanized magic event that was held in the Grand Ballroom of the Disneyland Hotel. And I was lucky enough to be at at this evening that was put together by 8-Pen Publishing. And it it was this amazing one-time-only collection of veteran Imagineers, uh, you know, uh, you know, we all sat there having a lovely dinner and these folks sat on stage and told us stories we were never supposed to hear about the Disney theme parks. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, as part of that night's festivities during the history of audio animatronics presentation, this is when Berryman let slip that is part of the upcoming update of Star Tours. 
C-3PO was going to replace Captain Rex as the pilot of the Star Speeder 1000 rather than the, the Star Speeder 3000. But no one was supposed to know about this changeout. But the thing is that Richard said it so casually and just sort of tossed it off in, in, in conversation. Now, now, mind you, we all knew at that point that Star Tours uh, was going to close in a month. In fact, it closed in October of 2010 to begin uh, the Adventures Continue update. And But people weren't supposed to know about the C-3PO, uh, his new role in the simulator, till Star Tours 2.0 opened uh, May the following year, 2011. And I remember that night, Seth Kaberski, uh, who was writing for the Orlando Weekly, uh, you know, he was sitting elsewhere in the hall and he walked up to me at the end of the evening and it's like, you heard that, right? You, you heard what he said. And I said, yeah, but is that, did he really say that? Or was that, you know, a, a 60 or 70 year old slip of the tongue or, you know, and the two of us, to our great chagrin and regret later, decided not to report it because it was just sort of like, yeah, I don't think. And, 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 and nobody reported it at no, all? No, nobody reported it. You know, wow, and, that's you know, unusual. Well, you know. of course, that was at a time there wasn't any um, media. Well, uh, you know, the, 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 mind you, we all had our phones and the internet was still up and running at that point. I, I think, though, it was just one of these things where it was, uh, you know, it was a three-hour-long evening. And here was this nugget in the middle that had just got tossed out quick and then the conversation moved on. And it's like, geez. If but, we, but look how many rumors are, are on the internet now. I mean, people just sneeze and all of a sudden that sneeze sounded like... Um, George Lucas was going to be back on directing the next one. Eh, well, now, uh, speaking of rumors again, you know, I just want to point out that Star Tours 3.0, uh, which again is supposed to feature appearances by the Mandalorian, Ahsoka, you know, Boba Fett, and Grogu, were three months out from this debuting on April 5th. Uh, and, you know, will debut uh, with the kickoff of Season of the Force at, at Disneyland, but uh, we're anticipating that this ride film also shows up uh, at the, uh, what is it? Disney's Hollywood studios in Florida and eventually Florida and, and, and Paris. Uh, and, but, but I, I have to stress here, folks, I do not know. Uh, you know, in fact, Brian was asking merely, is C-3PO still going to be in place? It's like, to be honest, I don't know. And, and just to be clear, I have no idea if sandstorms, you know, factor into this show at all. <laughs> well, also Disneyland is, is selling, um, their magic keys again. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I don't even know if it's going to be worth it if they don't get rid of the reservation thing. Uh, I mean, it's it, again, it it, it is a a it, it, it's a different experience going to the Disney theme parks these days. Do you think they'll get rid of the reservations? <sighs> well, again, remember, re, you know, in fact, we had all sorts of people in Florida this past week, uh, doing the, I am park hopping. I have gone to the oh, Magic kingdom. Okay. And, you know, they so were it's getting there. Okay. You know, there were so many people who did the, I went to did, you know, four theme parks in Florida no. today <laughs> video. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, just sort of put a cap on today's story. Uh, if you want to learn more about Richard Berryman, you can get yourself a copy of volume 28 of Walt's people, which was published by Skyway press in September of last year, 2023. Okay, folks, so that is going to do it for this week. Brian and I will be back in two weeks' time. Uh, Brian, in the meantime, where can folks find you on social media? Um, the best places find me on um, Instagram uh, um, at btgon, G-A-U-G-H-A-N. Um, until I update other things, I'm going to just uh, post there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And where can we find you? Well, <laughs> I, I'm still on the site formerly known as Twitter, now X, uh, and over on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Uh, likewise, on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank you again for listening to Looking at Lucasfilm today. Just want to remind you that we do have some other podcasts uh here at jim hill media we've got of course disney dish that i do with len testa uh we have also fine tuning uh animation news which i do 
with Drew Taylor uh, just this past week. Uh, Eric Kersey and I uh, recorded the first half of a brand new episode uh universal podcast uh have a brand new name uh epic the epic universal podcast and let's see what else uh Uh, oh and we of course have uh our patreon project uh disney impact uh len and i launched that in october it's our collaboration with longtime imagineer jim shul uh this past month uh, we have had, uh, up our, our story about Mickey's birthday land in Florida, uh, coming in February. We have something of a sequel, uh, which talks mm. about the design and development of the land in California that was inspired by Mickey's birthday land. And that was Mickey's Toontown. Uh, should check that out. And again, uh, thanks so much to those of you who contributed to, the GoFundMe uh, that we uh, Len Testa and Tim O'Brien set up in Aaron Adams' name again. So appreciate appreciate your generosity for uh, on behalf of Sabrina Geiger, and I think that's going to do it for this week. Cool. So, uh, on behalf of Mister Gone, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon.